We thank you for your word. Lord, open our hearts and minds. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The readings today are from, are from the Revised Common Lectionary. Many churches opt to take these readings every Sunday. So this morning, we in Trinity are united with many congregations across London and indeed throughout the land, having these in common. The Gospel of Mark, following Jesus from the beginning of his mission in Galilee to Jerusalem and the cross and resurrection, has been the source of many readings this year. Psalm 126 is a song which would have been sung by pilgrims on the way to the holy city of Jerusalem and the temple. They would have traveled in groups for fellowship and for safety. And for those journeying, it would have been a joyous time of celebration, perhaps fulfilling the dream of a lifetime. However, the psalm reminds the travelers and does that we do not accomplish things solely by our own means. Everything is a gift from God, who has already helped us so much. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. But the psalmist is honest. There is the awareness that life is not always good. Troubles come, tears flow. He has faith that the Lord will take care of us, will protect us, and that we can always approach God and ask for help. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with joy, songs of joy, carrying sheaves. The Gospel of Mark was written at a time when people really had to be reminded of this. At the time of Jesus, Palestine and the Roman Empire, whose territories were governed by the Romans. But they were governed by kings, friends of the Romans, often called client kings or puppet kings. The Romans relied on them to keep the peace, but there was always a Roman prefect with harsh soldiers nearby to step in in times of trouble. For the most part, things went smoothly, but the Jewish people lived in a state of tension and they had a lot to come to terms with. Their land had been occupied by foreign power. The Jewish religious authorities, with their strict religious rules, made life difficult. A king carrying favor with the Romans, selfishly looking out for himself. And Roman law itself, with harsh taxes and even harsher punishments. Life for those in Israel seemed a far cry from the golden days of King David and King Solomon. But maybe for some, life wasn't quite so different. There would always have been the poor and the powerless, those living on the margins. And we often look at life through rose-tinted lenses, looking back, seeing the good and ignoring the bad. Maybe it wasn't always quite so good. Nostalgia and longing for things to be they were can sometimes hold us back and perhaps blind us to what the present can offer. While Mark was writing his gospel, life was hard for the early Christians. Relationships with Rome were deteriorating, 
But Mark declares that this is, the gospel is good news for all. He really is an amazing writer with vivid descriptions. Not a word in his gospel is wasted. His narrative travels at such a fast pace that we're carried along with it. He begins with a statement of clarity and confidence. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah had foretold that God would open a way to lead his people home. Their sorrow would turn to comfort and joy. The Jews of Jesus' time remembered the words of the prophets and in their times of trouble, longed for this promised Messiah to come to rescue them. Mark was saying that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he's also now announcing that this is such good news. Using this phrase could be seen as a challenge to Rome. It was Rome's phrase. Any victory in battle, the accession of an emperor, an imperial, any imperial celebration, any such announcement was heralded by the cry, this is good news. And for Christians to use it for Jesus and his message was definitely to question and challenge the power of Rome. I suppose if you look at Mark's gospel, you can see it's written in three phases. In the first, we see Jesus beginning his ministry in Galilee. And people are beginning to notice him. He's gathering a group of disciples. He's teaching them. He preaches in the synagogue with authority. He heals. He exercises evil spirits. He can even control the wind and the waves. And wherever he goes, crowds begin to gather. They want his teaching. They want his healing, even his miraculous feeding. Some want to make him their king, but Jesus doesn't seek this kind of glory or fame. In fact, he tries to keep much of his work secret. What he doesn't keep secret, though, is how much he detests and dislikes the petty and religious laws that make life difficult for people. And as his popularity with the people increases, the religious authorities find him more and more disturbing. They feel threatened and begin to plot against him. The second phase, if you like, in Mark is framed at the beginning and at the end by the accounts of healing of two blind men. Blindness had many causes, and there was some was sometimes regarded as a punishment from God. And this, in common with some other conditions, barred the sufferer from entering the temple and taking part in the ceremonies, which was regarded as a real curse. However, it's as a metaphor for spiritual unawareness that blindness is often commonly used in the Bible. Jesus was about to leave Galilee, his homeland, and journey towards Jerusalem. At Bethsaida, a blind man was brought to Jesus. Jesus helped him and restored his sight. Not all at once, but in two stages. At first, the man saw only faintly. But at Jesus' second touch, his vision became clear. It's as if Mark is comparing this to the disciples' learning. 
their spiritual awareness doesn't exactly progress in leaps and bounds, but also comes in stages. We see them making mistakes, not quite understanding, regularly not getting what Jesus is talking about. Shortly after the healing at Bethsaida, Jesus and his disciples arrived at Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that Simon, was, that Simon Peter was gifted with amazing insight. He declared that Jesus was the Messiah. We know from Matthew's Gospel that Jesus was delighted at this and called Peter his rock. But Mark simply tells us that Jesus said it. And then moves on to say that Jesus then began to tell for the first, but not the last time, how he would be persecuted, how he would suffer, be killed, but would rise again on the third day. Of course, the disciples didn't understand. They couldn't believe it. They didn't want to hear it for a start. And Peter, perhaps buoyed up by his previous insight, protested. But Peter got things very wrong this time. And Mark tells us what Jesus said. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We all do that, don't we? See things from our own point of view. Empathizing, using our own feelings. Imagining how another person might feel. Sometimes interfering, trying to take over instead of listening. Peter didn't understand. The disciples didn't either. But from Caesarea to Philippi to Jericho, where today's miracle took place, there was a lot of learning to be done. Bit by bit, they began to understand what Jesus was telling them, what it really means to be one of Jesus' followers. But following Jesus will mean sacrifices. There's no guaranteed security. But following Jesus means they must learn to serve others with humility. That they wouldn't be able to yield power over others. That they must always think of others first rather than themselves. That their lives would be in danger. And that the good news of Jesus is for everyone. And with the healing of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the last stage in Mark's gospel is ready to begin. It's unusual to hear the name of someone whom Jesus heals. We hear about people coming out of the crowd, a man, a woman. We rarely hear their name. And I'm intrigued by the fact that we know that Mark Bartimaeus' name. And I wonder if this had some significance to the early Christians. We don't know. Sitting by the roadside, Bartimaeus heard the crowd which was following Jesus, and he began to shout to get his attention. Rabbis were honored. It certainly wasn't the thing to shout at a rabbi, but he didn't let that stop him. And he was gifted with true insight. He knew what the crowds did not, that Jesus, who Jesus was, the son of David. Bartimaeus was declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In spite of the disapproval of those around him and their attempts to silence him, 
he kept on shouting. The crowd was only 17 miles away from Jerusalem. They didn't want their progress to be stopped by some worthless beggar. Jesus also knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Probably had that on his mind. But it didn't stop him from hearing the desperate beggar's cry. So he stopped and called for Bartimaeus to be brought forward. Where others had dismissed Bartimaeus as worthless, Jesus had time for him. He knew his needs. He wanted to help him. Bartimaeus was one of the little ones, always so dear to Jesus. No unimportant people in the eyes of God. Bartimaeus leapt up, leaving his cloak behind, and was led to Jesus. In biblical days, if you were blind, there was really no way to support yourself. So beggars were given cloaks, which identified them and gave them permission to beg. The cloak was their one and only possession and their only source of income. Ironically, the cloak which defined them as worthless was in a way their security. And what a statement of faith from Bartimaeus. When Jesus called him, he knew he wouldn't need that cloak again. And he immediately, with no hesitation, answered when Jesus asked what he wanted him to do. Rabbi, I want to see. And receiving his sight, he didn't leave as he might have done to celebrate the good news with friends, to begin his new life amongst those he knew. But immediately he followed Jesus along the way. His need wasn't just to see, but to be a follower. Still there in the crowd when Jesus got to Jerusalem, I wonder what happened to him. This young man who knew in his heart who Jesus was who had much greater awareness and insight than most of the people Jesus met. And so begins the third part of the story, as Jesus and the disciples, still learning, but now much more aware than they had been, begin their 17-mile journey to Jerusalem, to the temple, and all that that would bring. In just over a week, Jesus would die on the cross. Bartimaeus had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he took it. Sometimes opportunities present themselves, and we don't take them. Why not? Fear of change. Fear of the unknown. Too much of a risk. Maybe we just don't realize. And changes in society are sometimes very slow for the same reason. Some see a need for them, but others are reluctant to follow, to get on board, to be persuaded. They don't share the same beliefs, and they need to be persuaded. It takes a few brave people to lead and to persevere before others see and follow. COP26 is making a lot of headlines at the moment, alerting us yet again to issues of climate change. This was once regarded as a fringe issue, but is now seen by many as a real concern. And like so many other movements which have resulted in important reforms, 
people's awareness of the problem has been raised. In Genesis, read that creation was good and humans were appointed to be stewards of the earth. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, God commanded us to look after the widow, the stranger, and the orphan. Jesus said we should love God and our neighbor as ourselves. And these commands hold good today and are intertwined. Our use of natural resources has an impact on others. Those on the margins are still there, possibly more than ever. It's down to each one of us to do what we can to carry out, to keep those commandments, seeing how much they affect us and our neighbors, rich or poor, near or far in the world today. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity for Bartimaeus and he took it. When Jesus asked what he wanted, he answered. And what of us? What do we really want? What would we like? Happiness, success, a better job, health, wealth, property, friendships. The list can be quite long. None of it's wrong if we get our priorities right, if we use our talents and our possessions in the service of the Lord. God knows what we want, but perhaps more importantly, he knows what we need. Spiritually, what do we want? What do we need? Theologian Jane Williams writes that Jesus asks and keeps on asking that until we see that what we need is to follow him as what we are called to be, which is one of God's children, sharing the love of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit with others, sharing God's love with others. Let us pray. Wounded healer, for the times we have ignored you and passed you by, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. For the times we have stood in the way of your healing, and try to keep your grace for ourselves. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. For the times we've stepped back, afraid to share your words of peace and love and let fear stifle the gospel. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Brother Christ, you embrace us in love and mercy. Your voice whispers in our hearts, what do you want me to do for you? Teacher, open our hearts to God's kingdom. Let us hear your voice gently spoken. Go, your faith has made you well. Amen.